You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, she's getting a little late, late in the week, so we should probably get started moving on to the future, except I don't know if I want to. Let me ask you a question first before we decide to move on or don't. Is it in bad taste to maybe highlight how things are going with a certain rival franchise, and and in particular, the centerpiece of that franchise, when said person was injured, is injured, could potentially be out for the season? Would that be in bad taste? Because I really wanted to address something that keeps coming up, and that is sort of what's going on around the NFC North, right? So, general narratives. The Lions were sort of the team that's about to break out. It's about to be a thing. And then they started to suck and everyone forgot about it. And then they win a bunch of games and and then we're back at it, right? So, okay, the Lions are still that team that doesn't have any talent, but man, they get motivated and they play with heart. All right, cool. The Vikings, don't know much about the Vikings. Kind of in a weird middle place between we're mostly still the old roster, but... We kind of need to do a teardown, but we're also pretty successful, but we're also kind of frauds, but I'm not really sure, but it doesn't matter because our record's great and we're definitely going to the playoffs, so hopefully this thing just rides out and we'll figure it out and we'll win a Super Bowl. Kind of, That's kind of where they're at. All right, the future probably should be the centerpiece, but we're kind of killing it right now in a season in which a lot of teams aren't, and we're going to focus on this year. Okay. The Packers, the narrative surrounding the Packers is they had a window, window closed, Rodgers is leaving. Team's going to suck for the next 40 years. Okay. I can't say I necessarily agree with that, but I guess who knows? Not sure I agree with any of the uh, things so far. But then there is just the automatic assumption for the Chicago Bears that they are in fantastic position to dominate the NFL for a prolonged period of time. Let me just drop this one little thing here. Everybody, including Bears fans, acknowledges that the Bears right now are a bad football team, right? They maybe don't like to admit it, but when you start throwing things in their face like statistics and their record and anything kind of related to football, the automatic retort is, yeah, well, we knew we were going to be bad this year. It's fine because we're going to dominate next year. Here's the issue, and I'm pretty sure I've said this several times, so let me try to say it in a different way. Every single team that is bad and has a successful rebuild starts bad and then rebuilds and then becomes good. But not every team that sucks has a successful rebuild and then becomes good. The Bears right now are at the first stage where they suck. (laughs) They are not to the part where they have had a successful rebuild and they are very far away from any kind of a team that would be considered good. This, by the way, also applies to the Lions, just to be clear, although nobody seems to be bragging about, oh man, the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl next year. It's just kind of a, they look really good considering, and we're proud of you, and we pat them on the head, and we go, yeah, okay, but you're still the Lions, and you suck, and everybody kind of gets that. But for some reason with the Bears, we're supposed to accept, 
the future is very bright for the Bears. Why? How do you know that? Well, they have Justin Fields. Right, they have him right now. And they suck. And part of the reason is Justin Fields, by the way. But but let's just leave that whole thing aside. If Fields is the reason you know they're going to be good, why aren't they good now? Well, they need more pieces. Are they going to get those pieces? Well, I mean, they're going to try. Yeah. Haven't they been trying this whole time? Well, they have new ownership. So what? They have new leadership. So what? What do you need? Well, we need offensive line, wide receivers, defensive line, edge rushers, linebackers, corners, and mm, probably not safeties. We feel good about quarterback, running back, safety, and, and tight end. So you need all that stuff, and you're sure you're going to get it. You know you're going to get a wide receiver? How do you know you're going to get a wide receiver? I mean, you just, you just traded for a wide receiver, and he sucks, right? So there's a big swing and a miss. How do you know you're going to knock this out of the park with a wide receiver? And then let's say you get an early pick, right, because your team sucks. This applies to all teams, including the Packers, but we talk about this on the podcast all the time. There's no guarantees of anything. I don't know why we have to just automatically assume the Bears don't have to go through this process of maybe, maybe not. It's just, oh, we suck. That means, therefore, next year we're going to win the Super Bowl. That I don't know how we make that jump. But let's just say, because you get a really early pick, right? Let's say you use that on an edge rusher. And let's say he's a great edge rusher. So, basically, you have, like, Khalil Mack back. Okay? Then what? Well, Khalil Mack wasn't good for like that one year. Well, he was. He was just injured for half the year. But you still had him many more years previously where he was very good and you still sucked. How does that help your offense? How does that stop Justin Fields from holding onto the ball for five seconds and getting sacked 17 times a game and not having any wide receivers? What do you know you're going to knock a second round wide receiver out of the park? He's just going to come in day one and be Justin Jefferson? He's going to come in day one and be your own little Devontae Adams? How does that fix your offensive line? How does that fix your defensive line? How does that fix your linebackers? How does that fix your corners? And do you need just one wide receiver and one pass rusher, or do you maybe need more than that? And again, I'm, I'm not even touching the part where Justin Fields is kind of garbage. I'm leaving that alone. Let's just pretend he is great. Here, here, here's, a, here's an issue. This is not a one-year rebuild. You are way too many pieces away from being a Super Bowl contender next year. How many years do you think Fields has? Honest question. He's getting hit more than just about anybody. It is, it's hard for me to watch Bears games because of how much and how brutally he gets hit over and over and over, and he's constantly getting hurt, and now very seriously. At what point do we say, maybe we need to change our offense so that it's not predicated on fields just running all over the place? You can't, because that is your entire offense. The Chicago Bears, as I played yesterday, I think it was on Packernet After Dark, um... They're very similar to the Packers in that if they can run the ball, they can be successful. And in the Bears' case, that doesn't mean win, does for the Packers, but they they can have a competent-looking offense. If they can't run, they don't have an offense. They don't have anything. They're garbage. If you take Justin Fields running all over the place out of the equation, what do you have? He's not a thrower, and, and to what little extent he is throwing the ball well, a lot of it has to do with the threat that your run game poses. This is a short-term strategy. This is very similar to what I said about the Colts and all these other teams. You go out and you get these big rah-rah guys, and you get motivated, and you get psyched. Same with the Lions, right? It's, it's all about motivation, but at some point, you're going to have to add talent. It's great that they're winning more games than you would expect, considering how little talent they have, but you don't get trophies for that, okay? And adding like one or two good pieces a year is not going to do it, because eventually, you're going to start losing one, two, three, four pieces a year. It's not a sustainable strategy. At some point, you have to have a football team, Lions. Right now, looking at PFF, as far as teams go, and remember, this is the, the PFF team grades doesn't necessarily have to do with how well your team is performing. It has more to do with the uh, being a compilation of the individual pieces on that team. How good is your roster composition? The Bears are third from the bottom. It's Texans, Cardinals, and then Bears. There are three people on your offense with a positive grade. Zero in the 80s or 90s. It's Braxton Jones, Khalil Herbert, and Tevin Jenkins. That offensive line that you guys hate represent two-thirds, 66% of everything good with your entire offense. Justin Fields, by the way, is not on the list, and guess what? He has a 91.3 rushing grade. How in the world does he not have a 70 overall grade? You know how? Because he has a 52.2 passing grade. He's still 
to this point in the season, does not have a single game in which his passing grade is in the 70s. Not one. Your defense has one player in the 70s, and he's at 74.1. That's Eddie Jackson. All this hype about how great everybody is on offense and on defense. You have four total players. Four. Zero in the 80s, zero in the 90s, four of them in the 70s. Do you know how many players just on defense they have below a 60? Pretty much everybody. Below average, 19 out of 25 are considered below average, many of whom are starters. Jalen Johnson, Nick Morrow, Al-Kadin Muhammad. Remember how great he was going to be? Oh, man, this guy's a stud. Nope. DeAndre Houston Karsten, Armand Watts, Roquan, who's gone. Uh, Jack Sanborn. Oh, yeah, he was. that was another one, I think, in the preseason. Holy, we got something here, boys. We really got one. That guy's garbage. Dominique Robinson. Jalen Jones, another rookie. Boy, this rookie class, I tell you what. How about Kyler Gordon? T- tell me, who who is it, again, that's going to help you to go? Like, next year, you're going to acquire a whole bunch of new players, right? A bunch of them. You're going to need basically two whole new rosters. Who was it that drafted Kyler Gordon with his first pick ever as a GM? Kyler Gordon as a 46.7 overall grade. That guy's kind of garbage, isn't he? That guy kind of sucks a little bit. Travis Gibson is in the 40s. Robert Quinn, 40s. Angelo Blackson, 30s. Justin Jones, 30s. And Mike Pinnell, 30s. That's just defense. You guys have one player above 60 and 19 below a 60 just on defense. You don't have as many that are below 60 on offense, certainly more than you have above 60, but Nikhil Harry, that stud, oh boy, oh boy, is he really just killing it. Uh, Ryan Griffin, uh, Kari Blassingame, Dante Pettis, ooh, he's real good. Lucas Patrick, what did you guys do to him? He was great when he was a Packer. Why do you guys suck so bad? Uh, Let's see, uh, Tristan Ebner and Amir Smith-Marset. Everybody else is considered average, including Mr. Darnell Mooney, elite number one wide receiver. By the way, what, what is all this talk about he needs help? Sin- explain this to me, because Bear fans, uh, Justin Fields is great, he just needs help. You guys love your offensive line, and Darnell Mooney's a top 10 receiver. How much, what, 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 what help does he need? Or are you conceding that your offensive line and wide receivers suck? I don't understand. Because I, I thought, I was under the impression when you guys said that he was an elite receiver, that what you meant was he was a really good receiver. That was, that was what I thought. But maybe I'm mistaken about that. I could, be, I could be entirely wrong. Did you guys know Alan Lazard has more yards than Darnell Mooney? Did you guys know that? It's a funny little factoid for you. Um, you know who's leading in touchdowns? Christian Watson and Alan Lazard are tied. After that is Romeo Dobbs with three, then Pettis and Mooney with two each. So you guys are just killing it right now. We're, we're over here saying, man, we really need some help. And we're kind of just blowing you guys out of the water. Pretty crazy, man. By the way, between the two teams, the only one that's actually graded out quite well, Randall Cobb with an 80 overall grade. He's the only one above a 70. Mooney's close, 69.9, but sorry, not quite there yet. And that's not his receiving grade. That's mostly his, I don't know, other grades, his drop grades or whatever. Receiving grades, um, Byron Pringle is actually <laughs> above Darnell Mooney as is Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb. So I I just want to make sure we're clear on this. I think four teams in the NFC North have some introspection to do. Four teams in the NFC North are in some trouble. The Vikings are probably the only team that should have some optimism. However, I think the Vikings are the 2019 Packers. That is to say, they're finding ways to win despite the fact that they have serious flaws. The 2019 Packers, you remember watching them, they were not super great. Usually it was the offense or the defense that would really play a great game and find a way to win, and the other side uh, was just complete garbage, and there would be like one player that would blow up or something. It never really felt good, but man, they always found a way to win. But the Vikings, for one, don't really have a quarterback. The Packers debatably have a quarterback, and if they do, it's just for the next couple years. The Bears seem to think they have a quarterback. I don't think so. The Lions definitely don't have a quarterback. I don't think there's a single team that has that sort of Josh Allen feel to where we've got a top quarterback and he's going to be with the team for the next 10 years. Even if Fields is a guy, he ain't going to make it 10 years in the league. I'm telling you that right now. The amount of hits that guy takes, 
Russell Wilson has been sacked the second most in the league, him and Joe Burrow, 32 times. Joe Burrow, we all know, takes a beating. 32 times that guy's been sacked, as has Russell Wilson. Justin Fields, 40. Half the league has been sacked 20 times or less. Half the league has been sacked half the amount of times or less than Justin Fields has. Rodgers has been sacked 21 times. But looking forward, in the NFC North, which team has the most to feel good about? Because Packer fans, what you're being told right now is that you are the team that shouldn't feel good about your future. Bears fans, yes. Lions fans, yes. Vikings fans, yes. Packer fans, nope. You should feel bad about your future. Why? Because Rodgers is leaving. So what? So we have to find a quarterback like the Lions do, except we have a better roster than them? I I hate to tell all of you, but if we find a halfway decent quarterback, we're not going anywhere. That's assuming Rodgers even leaves. The reality is the NFC North is kind of a mess right now. And there are no teams that are super promising. The Vikings have an opportunity because they found a little window. And they certainly have some stars on their team, specifically, I mean, Justin Jefferson. But this is also a small window because your, your quarterback, again, is not going to be there very much longer. Zadarius Smith is a short-term option. Patrick Peterson, who's having a good year, is a short-term option. So at the same time that this is kind of fraudulent, a lot of the people that are getting you to where you need to be are not going to be there for a long time. So you kind of need to go through this mini rebuild. Lose Zadarius, lose Patrick Peterson. I don't know how many of these rentals you have also. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson and whatnot. They're not old, but I don't know if the intention, Harrison Phillips, is to keep them for the entirety of their career or if this is a short-term, we're going all-in kind of a move. By the way, Packer fans, I I would like to reference something here. You may have noticed, I've I've talked about um, the Vikings and some of their best players, Christian Derrissaw, Justin Jefferson, Brian O'Neill, Zadarius Smith, Patrick Peterson, et cetera, et cetera. Talked about some of the Bears' better players. You'll notice I don't mention rookies very often. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Not a lot of teams get into where they are or aren't because of rookies. The Vikings' success isn't because of Lewis Seen, who I think is, is he on IR? I know he got hurt. I don't know if he came back. He did not. By the way, he played two snaps this year. One snap in week two, one snap in week four. That's it. Third worst player for the Vikings is Andrew Booth, the other guy that they picked in the second round. I'm just saying, even Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, he's fine. He's the fifth best player on their defense with a 71 overall grade. Unfortunately, his tackling is complete garbage. He also is a sub 10% pressure rate, which is garbage. But but guess what? I bet he's going to be a pretty good pass rusher at some point, probably just not his rookie year. I'm just throwing that out there. Just, Just letting you know. Look at the Super Bowl. How how many teams in Super Bowl contention? How how much you want to bet? I know we're getting off on a tangent here. How much you want to bet if I look them up right now? Their best players are not rookies. Chiefs, top five offensive and defensive players, zero rookies. I mean, I'm sure there's some out there somewhere. Uh, Who's the Bills uh, running back? James Cook, 82 overall. Did the Bills need him to be where they are right now? I don't think so. They've been good for a while. Anyways. Getting off that tangent, just wanted to just wanted to bring that up because I know there's this whole thing out there where the reason the Packers aren't good is because they don't draft for need right now. Because if they did, that's that's what's going to get you over the hump, as if that's ever been the case ever in the history of humanity. But let's let's look at this: honest, serious contenders in the NFL right now. If you look at point differential again, we'll we'll look at a couple different things. Point differential for the season: Buffalo, Dallas, Philadelphia, Kansas City and the 49ers are the top five. If you go to top 10, Bengals, Ravens, Patriots, Seahawks, Jets. If you go to the top 15, uh, Miami, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Tampa, and the Giants. Not a single NFC North team in the entire top 15. The, The Vikings are 16th. If you look at the last, what, five weeks, only 13 teams even have a positive point differential. So, first of all, the teams that that are the top three teams, Dallas, Seattle, and the Patriots are the top three teams in terms of just brutalizing teams right now. We're talking over the course of five to six weeks, depending on how many times you've played or whatever. Dallas, Seattle, New England, then Philly, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Tennessee. Those are 30 points. 
So only one team right now is is beating teams by an average of of ten or more, and that's Dallas. And that's when they just put forty or beat my uh, Minnesota by forty, which kind of is going to skew things a bit. But only thirteen teams are even positive: Dallas, Seattle, the Patriots, Eagles, Chiefs, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Washington, Baltimore, Miami, San Francisco, Buffalo, and the freaking Jets. It's that 40-17 to 17 victory over Miami. But there's not much going on here. Everybody else is negative. Every single NFC North team has a negative point differential. There's nobody in the NFC North that should be bragging about anything. And that includes your future. Because there is nothing that you know about tomorrow except what you have today. Nothing. You don't know a single thing is going to get fixed tomorrow. You don't know that things aren't going to get worse tomorrow. In fact... You know for a fact a lot of things are going to get worse because that's the, the regression is automatic. That happens every year. Things automatically get worse. You don't know how many things are going to get better. That's why if you don't have a good GM, your team will continue to decline and will regress down, regress down to just pure garbage levels. It takes a really good GM to have a really good football team, especially consistently, because you're fighting against, you're fighting against decay. There's always a natural decay. But you need coaches to be able to bring up the young talent and bring in and, and a GM to bring in new talent at the same or faster rate than the decay. So the only thing you know is what you have and that you're going to decay. Whether or not you have the coaches and the GM that are qualified and talented enough to counteract that so that if we just make up fake quantities, if every team on average loses a quantity of 10 talent, you had better be bringing in 15 to 20 talent, which is not an easy thing to do. And that, that includes, again, coaching up the guys you have to make them better and bringing in new players. And unfortunately, in the case of Chicago and the, the Detroit Lions, coaching up the players you have is not really an option. I think both teams' fan bases would fully acknowledge this isn't a lack of talent based on promising prospects. We like our promising prospects, and yeah, there's a couple people that we like and will, you know, Aiden Hutchinson and, I don't know, Tevin Jenkins maybe for the Bears, uh, Jalen Johnson. But for the most part, the excitement is the fact that we know we have bad players, and once we get new good players in, it's going to be better. The problem is that's only one part of the process, and it's the much slower part of the process. You can only bring in so many guys. The only players you should feel confident about are probably first and second round players. Third, fourth, fifth, eh, probably not, but maybe. Sixth and seventh, forget about it. There is there is a 4 or 5% chance, unless you're the Packers and then, you know, sixth round, especially if we're talking offensive line, jumps to about 40%. So the bottom line is don't buy any of this garbage that because we're rebuilding, that means we're automatically going to be better next year. No, you're rebuilding because you are garbage. And next year, you're going to be worse. And you'd better hope that you have the coaching staff and the GM that's able to counteract how much worse you're about to become. And the only proven staff in the entire NFL that's done that is the Packers. They're the only staff that has proved that they can take a bad roster and make it a good roster. Brian Gutekunst has done that. The Lions are still a giant question mark. They've had a couple years to swing at this, and, and they don't seem to be getting much better. And the Bears and the Vikings have all new staffs. Don't buy into the nonsense. If I could rephrase things in my own way, as opposed to how I started this with the narratives as I see them, the Lions are a team that seem to be squandering a pretty talented coach. And if they don't start putting some players on that team, his ability to get them to believe and to buy in will continue to diminish. There's only so long that you can do that. So in a sense, although the Lions are seen as a rebuilding team, they're also a team that's in a window. They have a window just as as well as a lot of other teams do. But their window is different. We have only so long to find players to make this thing go. That is to say, we are a playoff football team before it all comes crumbling in on itself. The Vikings have a window. That window is we're finding success. We're not a very good football team, but we are finding success somehow. We do have the capabilities of beating good teams like we did against Buffalo. So there's always a chance that we could get into the playoffs and go on a run. But our window is based on the fact that a lot of our success is being propped up by some players that we know are short-term things, very similar to the Packers. In fact, Zadarius Smith, who was a Packer and a part of our short window, is now a part of their short window. They also have some players playing above their their abilities, like, again, Patrick Peterson, who's having a great year, who hasn't done that in many years. 
And again, I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to be the long-term solution there. Because on one hand, he is what makes that offense as good as it is. On the other hand, he is a big part of the reason that, uh, that that team is not very good. He makes throws that are absolutely incredible, that there are a lot of young quarterbacks that you can go out and draft that will never be able to do what Kirk Cousins can do. But on the other hand, Kirk Cousins will never allow you to get where you want to be, where you need to be, because he's not good enough. He's too inconsistent. So Cousins goes, Darius goes, Patrick goes, and who knows how many of those defensive linemen that are constantly being shuffled in go. You've got a bunch of other older guys that you've been hanging on to since the Zimmer era. Adam Thielen's getting up in age. Harrison Smith is getting up in age. There are guys that are going to be going bye-bye. As for the Bears, what they are is a bad football team. And they're in a very dangerous situation right now because they have an underperforming quarterback that they love. And I don't know what the GM thinks of the quarterback, but they are in a very similar situation to the Vikings or are in, are in danger of. And it's not just the Vikings. This is a large portion of the NFL has a quarterback that they know is almost there. They have some talents. They have something that we really like. And we know that if we lose that, we're going to lose a lot, a lot of talent, a lot of this, a lot of that. And so they're too scared to let him go because they just refuse to acknowledge that this is ultimately the thing holding us back. Aside from that, they have a garbage roster and no real reason to believe that it's going to improve. The NFC North is bad, period. And the Vikings are finding success throughout. So good for them. But that's it. As for the Packers, I think that's the hardest one. But the problem for all the anti-Packers folks is that we still have a lot of talent. And you saw that against Dallas. Now, the the defense is its own issue. But here's the thing. If we get a new defensive coordinator who's able to get this defense going in the right direction, we're pretty much there. It really just becomes a question of quarterback. Can Aaron Rodgers overcome whatever issues he's having this year? One of them being a broken thumb, which you would assume he can get over. Now that I got that all on my system, uh, we can talk about something that's actually important, and that is Geronimo Allison. But first, why don't we take a break for our sponsors? Before we do that, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. Uh, You can find them at fertilegroundranch.org. I don't know why that always confuses me. I would love it if you would check them out and consider supporting them. And don't forget, we're giving away a, um, a signed Paul Horning jersey. Every $5 you donate to Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry will give you one additional entry for the jersey. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Over the years, the events surrounding the Geronimo campaign have continued to haunt me. That's right, folks. Geronimo Allison. Well, he's not back, but he's working out with the team, which has uh, social media in a complete and total uproar. I honestly don't know what to make of it. Kind of just got a chuckle. Geronimo has not played at all this year. He was with Detroit this this past year, 2021. 2020, he didn't have a team. And then in 2019, he was with the Packers. In Detroit, he had two targets and zero receptions. That is to say... Geronimo Allison has not caught a pass since uh, the championship disaster against the San Francisco 49ers, in which he helped us with his three targets, two receptions, and eight yards. For the season, he had 306 yards and two touchdowns 
which is his career best. Bested 2018 by three whole yards when he had 303 yards and two touchdowns, which is very similar to his rookie year where he had 267 yards and two touchdowns. In all of 2019, he had one game in which he graded out as quote-unquote good, the 70.7 overall grade. He had one target, one reception for 11 yards. So I guess I guess the thing that's weird to me, because a lot of people are making comments about, well, this must be Rodgers, and I don't want to jump to that, but at the same time, what in the world are the odds that Geronimo Allison would be in this building if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers? I mean, what what possible reason would Brian Gutekunst have to bring him back into the building? Also, why? There, there's so much I don't understand. Do we need a wide receiver right now? Is, <laughs> is this sort of a, uh, all right, conspiracy theory time. I figured it out. I got it. Ready? Here's exactly what's happening. I'm going to tell you this. You will believe it in total confidence because you know I'm right about everything I've ever said, and we'll move off of it. Here's what happened. Sound like Monk now. Here's how it happened. He's the guy. So Rogers has his weekly meetings with Brian Gutekunst, right, or whatever. They, they meet all the time. They're best friends now. Gutekunst lets him in. Hey, what's going on, bud? Hey, what's going on? Rogers starts in just like he did on the Pat McAfee show talking about like how great things are going and like we're going to exaggerating slightly, but giving the impression that he still thinks that they have a chance, right? And so Gutekunst, not trying to ruffle any feathers, when it gets to the part where Rogers says, so look, we got the Eagles coming up. It's really important we win this game. Otherwise, we might be basically eliminated from the playoffs. And Gutekunst is like, yeah, man, that would be crazy if we, if like the season was over and we gave up on it or whatever, which I can't even fathom doing that. I, it's not like I've done that for the last two weeks or anything. And Rogers is like, yeah, so what are we going to do? Like, you got to get us some help. And Gutekunst is like, you know what? You're right. But he's not going to actually invest in anyone that matters. He's not going after Odell Beckham, not that he would come here anyways. I don't even know outside of that who's even available. That would be an even halfway decent name. But Gutekunst, being a, a, a sly devil, has a way to give the illusion of actually trying by going out and, and telling Rodgers that he's going to go after Geronimo Allison. The reason being, Rodgers thinks highly of Geronimo, and Gutekunst knows that Geronimo will do nothing to help this team. So Rodgers walks out and says, that's what I like to hear. Some people thought you were giving up on this season, Gutekunst. Some people thought I was giving up on this season. Brian, first name basis probably. I never actually heard him call him Gutekunst before, but it would be pretty funny. But joke's on them, because we're all in. Gut just says, yeah, man, got a few tricks up my sleeve, and it just starts with Geronimo. You have a good day. Then he closes the door, locks it, and, and has a good chuckle to himself and says, Brian, oh boy, you've done it again. <laughs> the funny part of that story would be the part where Rogers goes back to the guys, like in the locker room, like, hey, I uh, just had a conversation. Like, oh yeah? Yeah, uh, somebody's coming. Somebody pretty big. Like, Seriously? Yeah, man, just wait. You're not going to believe it. And then they see like on Twitter that Geronimo Allison is in, or better yet, they see him walk in the door. Like, you've got to be f- but yeah, that's all I have to say about Geronimo Allison. Uh, it really doesn't move the needle for me in any one direction. If we sign him, how much does that change anything in my life? Not at all. If we don't, how much does that change anything in my life? Not at all. I mean, nothing. Not even marginally. Anyways, we might as well touch on some of the uh, Pat McAfee show. Aaron Rodgers is on there. See what he had to say. Uh, talking about the Eagles and whatnot. So we'll get his insights. He said he didn't watch any of the... Uh, the games over the weekend, but did comment a little bit on the Eagles and kind of seemed to allude to maybe they're not quite as good. If we have time, we'll get to that, but we might just save that. Um, I mean, it, it kind of speaks for itself as far as what they've done recently, or I guess you could say, yeah, not really after their buy. They, they put a hurting on the Steelers. But anyways, uh, first question we're actually going to highlight here was asking about the Eagles defense, asking Rodgers to comment on it. I know plenty about the D and obviously watched the film. Um, they didn't just sign those two guys. They went out and got Robert Quinn before the deadline as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lead back from Chicago. Um, and then, you know, Fletch has been there forever and still is a you know great defender off the edge. But adding, you know, some size in the middle like that, definitely not going to hurt. Played against Linville a number of times over the years when he was in Minnesota. He's a space eater, man. He's, he just swallows up double teams and, probably a linebacker's best friend, you know, when you got a guy that wide who can also move. I mean, he's, he has the uh, agility 
it reminds me of uh, Pat Williams back in the day, for guys that know who that is, you know, just such a huge body who could also, you know, very difficult to cut off when he's backside shade and just such a, uh, you know, mountain of a man. He's just going to demand, you, you know, if you run at him, you got to double team him and then he can swallow up those blocks a lot of times. So solid player. Obviously, Sue's been a, a great player for a long time in the league and him and I have our own stuff. And uh, I think a lot of that's water on the bridge. But uh, of course, it, it goes to show with when you bring in veteran players who are pros, pros, they're going to be ready to play. So you sign a guy on a Thursday, play him on Sunday. That, that seems like such an amazing deal. Not really. If you're a pros pro and, and if those guys have been, you know, hoping to get signed throughout the season, obviously they're working out, obviously they're ready to go. And, and you know, I think in a system like that, there's probably uh, some plug and play that can happen. You know, it's D line. There's, you know, there's obviously techniques and different pressures and things that you want to bring, but probably for veteran guys like that, stepping in, it was not, uh, not that big of a deal. Yeah. So, I want to talk about this. So, so Rodgers is talking about how good their defensive line is, right? A lot of talent, a lot of veteran talent. We brought in a lot of older guys. I mean, they've got some holdovers that they've had for a long time, and then they brought in Sue and Linval Joseph and some other guys that all of us have some familiarity with, obviously, because they're older and they've been dominant for a long time. Not that they are still necessarily, but the biggest reason I want to bring that up is whether or not we beat the Eagles is largely contingent on that. And that is my biggest fear is that defensive line. However. Here's the interesting thing that we got to figure out. The Philadelphia Eagles run defense has been kind of bad um, compared to the Tennessee Titans. And remember, that is my operating theory right now. This team can be, this offense can be very potent if they can continue to establish the run. You establish the run, which, which not only, I mean, in and of itself is lethal. I mean, when the Packers are running well, we're talking chunk plays, we're talking sustained drives and, and converting first downs. We're talking tiring out the defense, but we're also talking, uh, well, there's explosive plays, but you're also talking about setting up the pass, and that's when you start to open up things to Christian Watson. You start to talk about explosive passing. Um, that's when the offense really comes into its full self and looks like it did against Dallas. Um, my concern was their defensive line, and assuming you know they're a really good team, they focus on defensive line, it has been their identity for a long time, even prior to their current coaches going back who knows how long. I just assumed they were very good. They ranked 24th in yards per attempt rushing, and honestly, if you look at the last, um, not including this last week, we'll get there, but prior to the Colts, they gave up 152, 168, 144, 134, and 124 going back to the Arizona Cardinals in week five. That's that's pretty brutal. Then they added some pieces on the defensive line, as he was just talking about. And what happened? There was, there was all these, I didn't watch the game, so I don't know, but there's all this commenting about how not only did they come in, but they came in ready to play, and they played really well. They played. There were some key contributions from Sue and whatnot. And you look at it, and they held the Colts to 99 yards. Now, that's still, I mean, as far as the Tennessee Titans standards, averaging like 60 that's still better than what we face against the Titans. So either way, I still think we're in better shape. But the question is, did they massively improve? Did they suddenly get a lot better? Well, the 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 next question then is the Indianapolis Colts. How good of a running team are they? They rank 25th in rushing. So I honestly think, and, I, and we got to keep looking at this, but here's the thing with the Eagles. I'm just going to get into it now before we move on, if we even move on, and we'll see how long this takes. Shouldn't take very long. The Eagles, it's assumed, are going to steamroll the Packers, but there's a couple issues. Again, number one, the best version of this Packers team is a team that can run the ball, and I think we're going to run the ball against them because this is one of the worst run defenses in football. They did add some pieces. Makes sense. You add some pieces because you want to improve. You've had some issues, right, the last couple weeks. We'll, we'll get into it, but obviously it's been pretty shaky the last three weeks, and so you're like, all right, we got to fix this. Where's our biggest efficiency? Run defense. Let's go get some defensive tackles, shore that up, and get back on track. Well, they added some defensive tackles. They still gave up nearly 100 yards on the ground to one of the worst rushing attacks in all of football and nearly lost to the Indianapolis Colts. So I think it has the potential to be a really good matchup. We'll see. We'll see. If they, if they have the ability to stop the run, I think we're doomed. If not, we have a really good shot. There's still the problem of our defense trying to stop this offense, which can be problematic, although that's been questionable also. Um Again, a lot of this, and maybe you're not the same as me, a lot of this is just me assuming. I knew they had an undefeated record. 
I assume that their offense was really good, their defense was really stout, all this stuff. I'm learning that isn't entirely the case. Here's the other thing, though. I talked about point differential. If you look at, let's see how far back we can go here. Uh, For the season, the Philadelphia Eagles are third. So for the season, third best team, just looking at point differential, right? Just pounding teams. Not just beating them, but brutalizing them. What if we fast forward a little bit and say, what weeks do we have here? Uh, They're, that's not right. Well, let's say their last five games, they rank fourth. What about their last three games? The last three games, the Philadelphia Eagles rank 14th with a two-point point differential. Two points. They've played three games and have a two-point point differential. Those three games are against the Houston Texans, the absolute worst team in football, the Washington Commanders, who beat the living daylights out of them, 32-21, to 21, and the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't want to get too much into it, but even if you look at, for example, their offense, which ranks fourth overall, right? Powerhouse offense. If you look at it, though, there haven't been that many impressive games as far as offensive score. And I know you have to kind of adjust down a little bit comparing to everybody's scores being low, but 38 points came week one against Detroit. 35 were against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They don't have a single game over 30 besides that. They have a 29-point game against the Jaguars and a 29-point game against the Texans. Otherwise, it was 24 against Minnesota, 24 against Washington, 20 against Arizona, 26 against Dallas, 21 against Washington, and 17 against the Colts, their lowest scoring game. So it's not that cumulatively they haven't scored a lot of points. The larger point is, more often than not, they don't score a lot of points. Most of the time... Their offense doesn't score a lot. They're winning primarily because of their defense. Now, their defense is ranked seventh, again, because most offenses are struggling and defenses are not allowing a lot of points. But aside from 35 points week one and 32 points against Washington, it's been 7, 8, 21, 17, 17, 13, 17, and 16. Again, I tend to think this works in our favor. They're a team that is primarily a defensive team whose weakness is the run and their strength is turnovers. Now, the Packers haven't been the best at protecting the football compared to previous years, but generally speaking, they have the ability to protect the football. Just throwing that out there. Not trying to give anybody false hope. I'm just saying it's a better matchup, in my opinion, than Tennessee was. That's all. Anyways, back to the uh, Pat McAfee show. Again, I don't know what it is about this whole Pat McAfee. Aaron Rodgers has just got a split personality when it comes to how he is generally with the media and how he is on Pat McAfee. Because after the Packer game, he flat out said, you know, you know, I, I, I missed some throws or whatever. Right? And, and I said, that's all we asked for. That's it. All you got to say is, yeah, I bear some responsibility. I missed some throws. My bad. Right? Well, he kind of goes back on it here on the Pat McAfee show when he asks, so what's going on? Like, you having a little problem with the throw-in? Or, like, why did you miss so many passes and stuff? <laughs> Well, there was some wind as well. I mean, I wasn't talking necessarily about the throws. I mean, you know, if you don't throw a perfect spiral in the Green Bay wind, you know, there's going to be a couple wobblers. So, um, you know, the expectation of a perfect spiral is kind of what I've been known for and what I expect. And if, if there's anything less than that, then you know, obviously there was something uh, that uh, that contributed to that. I, you know, my thumb is, is what it is. You know, it's been it's been an issue since the Giants, but not an issue that I'm going to rely on for an excuse or need. I mean, after the Cowboys game, I put basically every ball exactly where I wanted to, and there wasn't any questions about how my thumb was. I missed, you know, missed two throws. I probably hit, you know, 99 out of 100, and, and people are wondering what's going on. Not- Come on, man. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but are we being serious now? Is this, is this being serious? You hit 99 out of 100? And now you're saying, I wasn't even talking about the throws when I said I missed some throws. What I meant was that there was wind, obviously. And, you know, it's just because I didn't throw like a perfect spiral. The wind caught it a little bit, um, which isn't even a big deal. It's only a big deal because it's me and I'm on just like a whole other level. Like I'm, I'm so high up here that I'm just saying like I missed it for my standards. But like for general quarterback standards, I didn't miss nothing. And I make 99 out of 100 throws. I miss like three. 
and people are wondering what's going on with me. Nothing. I'm still dominant. Like, <laughs> what is this? I, I don't. This is incorrect. I ju- it's just it just annoys me to no end because it's it's again it's not just Rogers, but there are so many people that no matter what, there's always an excuse. Right, the Lazard thing. Well, he didn't jump high enough. Somebody, I even saw somebody comment and say it was it was a perfectly placed ball. He just didn't jump high enough. You don't have to jump if it's a perfectly placed ball. Did you see him stretched out as far as he could possibly go? And why are you defending? I don't get it. Why do you have to defend that? He, it's a bad throw. And all the plays where you know he's not making the right reads, and there's guys open and he's not throwing it, and he's panicking in the pocket when he doesn't need to. He's bailing when he doesn't need to. His eyes fall when it doesn't need to. It's just. All these things, and it's like, I don't want to pile on, but take some freaking accountability of it. And here we are again. Again, I was done with it. The whole thing's over. All done. Good. He said, yeah, a little bit my bad. Cool, man. Got it. You're bad. Everybody's bad. We get it. By the way, the Jets quarterback is getting trashed for doing exactly this, taking no accountability. He's getting crucified for saying he didn't let the defense down after playing like garbage. I saw a compilation video of quarterbacks taking accountability like uh, Josh Allen saying you know my bad this is on me and again this is what I said about Rodgers too say it's on me I know everybody knows it's not entirely your fault but if you say it's entirely my fault it takes some of the heat off everybody else and it also doesn't matter because none of this has to do with anything this is basic general leadership stuff just say my bad and move on and he did that. And he said, my bad, I didn't play up to my standard. And then he comes on the Pat McAfee show and he's, he's doing this routine again. Nah, I wasn't talking about the throws when I said I missed throws. Oh, come on, man. You think I miss throws? I don't miss throws. Who do you think I, do you know who I am? I don't miss throws. No, I was talking about the wind. Wind took it a little bit there. Would have had it, but it wasn't a perfect spiral. It was a spiral. Don't get me wrong. It just wasn't a perfect spiral. And that's the standard I hold myself to, a higher standard than everybody in the world. It's like you, you don't have the right to be this arrogant when you're playing like you're playing. So stop doing it. Stop doing this. It's, it's weird. Again, he just, I, I really genuinely believe he's feeding off of it. Because if you listen to Pat McAfee prior to that, because he always does that, whenever he's going to throw him like kind of a hardball, like this is going to be an uncomfortable, he spends 10 minutes pumping him up. Like, I, he talked about, I, I saw you throw a ball 70 yards to a guy on a jet ski. He's talking about how great he is. MVP, I, I, you're great. You're amazing. You're the one. You're da, 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 I was hitting skip like seven times. Like, dude, get to the question. And then when he gets there, Rodgers is so, like, pumped up because apparently he just feeds on that stuff. He's like, nah, dude, I don't, I don't miss throws. Probably make 99 out of 100. No, you don't. You had a good first half and a bad second half. Even if you say that a good three quarters and a bad fourth quarter, which I did all the, the grading thing, you threw a lot more in the second. So, but, but even if we just pretend that you threw the exact same in every quarter, that's 75 out of 100. Assuming you had a great second half, and I don't think you did, and didn't miss any in the first half, which, you, which also wouldn't be true. Just, I'm, just, I'm just asking you not to do this. It's so stupid. It would be like me coming on here and being like, you know I got the biggest podcast, right? It's the biggest one. It's like everybody knows that's not true, and I just keep saying it. It's the biggest podcast. I mean, I know that's like a basic marketing thing, but the point is everybody would know that it's not true, and it would be, it's not even that big of a deal. Like you miss some throws. Nobody cares. What I care about is the fact that you keep saying you don't miss them. And again, by the way, this very much implies that everybody else is at fault. You're going on national television. Let's just call it that. I know it's YouTube. You're going on national television and saying, this wasn't my fault. This wasn't on me. Is there a person on planet Earth that thinks this is a good idea? Come on, man. This is so stupid. And the thumb thing doesn't even make sense to me because he's saying, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. An excuse for what? Are you playing well or not? What do you mean excuse? What do you need an excuse for? I thought you were playing well. Or did you miss some throws? You don't need to be excused for wind. That doesn't even make sense. I don't know. I just, I, I don't, it's like, I just I don't understand. I don't get it. You ever, I've, I've had this argument, not, not recently, but especially when I was first married or, or prior to being married to my wife. This would be a constant argument because she would say something that wasn't true and I wouldn't be able to let it go. And she, her whole thing would be, well, just let me say it. And I'm like, okay, you're acknowledging that it's not true. 
don't say it. Well, I'm going to say, don't tell me what I can't say. Like, I don't understand why you keep doing this. Driving back from when I bought her engagement ring, first probably big blow up fight we had was on the word need. She kept saying need. I need that. So you don't need that. You, it, you, I mean, it's a basic definitional thing. You don't need it. Yes, I do need it. Don't tell me what I don't need. No, I, I will tell you what you don't because you don't need that. It was about milk. And it didn't matter. It was just the fact that she said she needed it. It's like, you don't, I, I, I don't drink milk. I'm not dead. You know why? Because human beings don't need milk to survive. But it just, it drove me crazy. Cause like, I don't know why you're saying that you, and you know, you're wrong. So just knock it off and I'll drop it. But you have to stop saying it because it's inaccurate. You want it. You don't need it. This is basic. It's the same thing with Rogers. Stop saying this. Stop doing it. Knock it off. I wasn't talking about the throws. <laughs> don't want throws. <laughs> Again, I, I, I want this. I want to let this go so much. But this freaking guy keeps bringing it up. And again, it's like, well, well, admit everybody else has problems too. I will. And so will they. Nobody else on this football team is saying it wasn't me. Nobody. Jair is the only other guy that called people out that I'm aware of on this team. And, and I think the biggest difference is when Jair said it, it literally could have been anyone. When Rogers says it, there's only one other guy it could be. If you throw a ball to the guy and you're saying, I didn't throw a bad ball, I know who messed up then, according to you. The ball's multiple to Lazard that you missed were Lazard's fault. The ball to Sammy Watkins was Sammy Watkins' fault. I mean, just honestly, Christian Watson had a really bad drop, right? Again, just a, a wide receiver screen, hit him in the hands. It was like a weird, awkward-looking thing, and it hit the ground. Could you imagine if that guy started talking about wind? Like, what's going on? You had some drop issues. Like, well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying like I was dropping them. You got to understand, there's wind, right? And if Rodgers doesn't throw a perfect spiral, that thing gets wobbly. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, drops are a part of football or whatever, but no, I, 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 I catch 99 out of a hundred every time. It's like, no, no, you don't. You drop a lot. I've seen you drop them. Nah, it's wind. I don't understand. You, you don't know football. Learn to watch tape, loser. You want to watch wind tape? Stupid idiot. Anyways, getting off that, I'm sure we'll be back on it next week when Rogers takes accountability for mistakes and then goes on Pat McAfee's show and says it wasn't his fault. Um. What's the guy's a tie or whatever? Packer fan on the show? He always asks Rogers a question. He, uh, ultimately, at the end, was do you see similarities between this year and 2010, which I think is uh, hilarious. But Rogers had um, a response that I thought made it's, it's kind of telling. I might be reading too much into it, but I think it's telling. I mean, I wouldn't say the 2010 team. That, that kind of. That's got such a special place in my heart, and that kind of always stays kind of in its own lane. The The way that the team came together that year, it was just something that we, you know, in, in 18 years you have maybe two or three times. Um, and that was a really, really special group of guys and added some veterans at various points like a Howard Green and a Matt Wilhelm that, you know, played some big roles for us, uh, Matt on teams and Howard you know, had one of the biggest plays in the Super Bowl, hitting Ben's arm on a pick six to Nick Collins. But more than that, they were glue guys, you know, guys that came in and, and kept everything together and brought guys uh, together in, in a special way. And that's why we were able to make that run. This team reminds me more of the – if they're, if you're going to make comparisons, is more of the 16 team that was, you know, inconsistent the first 10 weeks, played a lot of up-and-down football, and then things kind of came together uh, in Philly on a Monday night and – we started a run uh, and won, you know, eight in a row and got to the NFC Championship. And and people remember that. They don't remember kind of the struggles that we had getting blown out by Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee that year losing, the, you know, four and five. We played in the Sunday night game against uh, Washington and got, uh, you know, got the offense rolling, but we got beat by a couple scores. And, and then came back in Philly and, and kind of put it all together uh, for a night. And then that kind of set us on our way. Then we had a, a snow game at home and beat Houston. And then we had a game against our rivals, the Seahawks, and got out to a fast lead and, and blew them out. And then we had three division games to finish the season and, and, uh, and obviously ran the table there. So um, yeah, that would be more, I think, of the, of the comparison at this point. Uh so I wanted to let it play out because I, I do think that that 2016 comparison is interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, getting beat by Washington, getting beat by 
blown out by Tennessee, and then uh, bringing it all back together against Philly, you know, for for keeping hopes alive. I think that's pretty interesting. But um, no, I, I think the the main crux of the whole thing was him describing what it was that made 2010 special. Now, he still compared this year to 2016, which was a good team, but the point is he kind of pointed to what a lot of us have been saying sort of the whole time, and that is there's a leadership issue. The thing that made 2010 go is that there were guys in the locker room that came together and that there were leadership guys that kept everybody together. There was a... a, a, I I don't know exactly what you call it, but it, it was an attitude. And he made a clear distinction between that and this year. And um, I, I do think that's a big problem. And, and honestly, I really think Zadarius, and people have pointed this out, was really sort of one of those guys. I think he was that guy for us. And I don't know what went wrong. I really don't. I, I think it kind of came down to maybe it started with the contract um, when the Packers didn't necessarily give him what he wanted. Then obviously there was the the... Uh, captain thing, but the question for me would be, why wasn't he made a captain? You know, I mean, if he is that guy, I don't know. But looking forward, I think that needs to be the biggest. There's, there's always a biggest thing, right? Whether it's we need a new coach or we need a new quarterback or we need a new safety or or we need wide receivers. There's always like a thing that that's going to fix everything. Um, that needs to be, a th- and and the hard part is you can't draft that. You can't draft a guy to come in and be a veteran that can be a glue guy. So you have to look to free agency. And the problem for the Packers is they don't have any money to go out in free agency. So what do you do to fix that? The only thing I can think is you need leadership in the coaching staff. And I don't think we're going to get a new coaching staff. So I don't know what to do. I don't really know how to fix this. Can't do it in the draft. Can't do it in free agency. And I don't think we're going to get a whole new coaching staff to do that. And, 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 I don't know that that even fixes it because ultimately, I think even though you can foster that environment, you still need those guys to be in the locker room. So the only thing I can think is is some guys, somebody needs to step up and be that person, whether it's this year, next year, or whatever. Somebody has to be, somebody or somebodies have to be those people. And it just seems like we don't really have that right now, which I guess is unfortunate. Anyways, the final thing I want to cover, at least for today, because we're running out of time, this is sort of the main thing that everybody's been talking about. Uh, Aaron Rodgers talking about retirement. Well, look, I mean, I'm a human. Of course, you think about life after football, and it's not, you know, it's not a like a, you turn it on at some points and turn it off. I mean, I think you always, um, you know, when you have interests outside of the game, there's always things that uh, that come up that you spend time doing, you know, in some of your free time that. Uh, that you're going to do more when you're done playing. So of course, of course, there's that thought. But when you're when you're in it and you're creatures of habit, obviously the focus is on the season. The focus is on the preparation, and that doesn't change. But it doesn't also change that you can't have interest outside of the game that that uh, you take your mind to from time to time. And, and I look forward to those things, but um, those those are not the front of my mind. Those are those are near the back. But uh, but to sit here and say, oh no, it's all ball all the time and blah 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 bullshit like. I mean, I don't know. That's not the way I am. Like, like there's there's life after football, and there's life outside of football, even during the season. That I think it's important to, to keep that balance. And yeah, you're gung ho. You're all in. You're you know all about finding ways to to tweak little things to improve and to and to be more efficient. But you're also a person. You have a life. And, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been an awesome run. I mean, I'm I'm really proud of uh, what I've accomplished. I don't you know. I'm not like looking forward to the end and, and, you know, life after football is going to be a tough transition. It's for every player that finishes up. And I don't know when that's going to be, you know, I don't know if it's going to be after the season or after three more seasons or whatnot, but um, there'll be decisions that we'll have uh, later down the road. Right now it's, you know, it's about this week, about this show and about uh, Sunday night football. And Crosby family Thanksgiving. But I- so a lot of people have, opinions on trying to read between the lines. I've, I've always taken his word for it when he said this, and I still do. I genuinely don't think he knows what he wants to do. I think there's still information that's required in terms of how the rest of the season goes, and, and, I, and I think he needs to sit and contemplate what the criteria is. He's done a lot of that work last year, sort of what the criteria is, but it's a new situation. Um, what you know, pros and cons list, staying and leaving. 
Uh, obviously, there's there's money on the table, and then there's a the whole Tom Brady thing, which is again, I still don't see why that would factor in at all. But um, yeah, I I I I, I genuinely don't because you know a lot of people are, are right now saying, well, he's definitely coming back. I don't think he even knows that. I think we're going to finish out the season. He's going to look at what happened, what the future looks like, right? Obviously, he knows what the financial situation is if he comes back. Question is, what does he want to come back for? And and really, it just comes down to how much does he really want to play football, right? I mean, there's there's the passion of football, but then there's the passion of life and and being able to retire and, and enjoy whatever you doing, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. Uh, and football is also a grind. And do you want to put yourself through all that again, physically, mentally, emotionally, especially for Rodgers? You know, the amount of, uh, you know, I mean, he's got the Pat McAfee show and he's got, uh, he's on every talk show that you could possibly imagine for whatever reason. Um, and when his play is declining as it is, obviously he's under even more scrutiny, which I'm sure is not fun. And when it becomes a factor between what's more fun, staying or leaving, all these things push more toward the not super fun category. And and again, the only other thing that I take from this is, unless you just think he's not telling the truth, he hasn't ruled out retirement, which means, you know, for example, the, the contract situation and as far as how much money is on the table, he hasn't said or or doesn't in his mind see that as a uh, ruling out kind of a factor. So, I don't know. Let's just see how this season goes, I guess. Um, I will be interested to see if they beat the Eagles or something kind of poetic about this season and 2016 lining up. I'm, again, I'm not trying to give everybody anybody hope, but there are some parallels that I think are kind of funny. And if they beat the Eagles, boy, you can have a lot of fun with that. But I'm going to say the same thing I've always said. I've, I've had a lot of fun these last couple weeks. Uh, win, lose, or draw, being able to see the growth of some of these guys. Um, even though Aaron Rodgers is struggling, I think, more than he has in the past. People don't want to acknowledge that. That's fine. I, I think he is. Um, it's still great to see when he's on, and it looks pretty. Uh, the emergence of Christian Watson and and just the fact that we know that there's more. Uh, the run game when it's going is is a thing of absolute beauty. The defense, when it's doing what it's supposed to, which I know is few and far between these days, uh, but the emergence of, for example, Quay Walker, seeing uh, Devontae Wyatt seemingly taking a step every single week. They're not giving him a lot of opportunities, but it seems like every week there's at least something, right? Um, I don't think it'd be... I, I should screenshot it and, and or uh, take a video and, and post it because he had a really good play in, as a, uh, a run stop. But um, there's, there's a lot to enjoy, and, and I think that's the good thing about or at least that I'm learning about, even if your team is not super great, there is a lot to enjoy. Um, it's similar to, you know, I, I give the Bears a hard time or whatever, but I get it. You know, they, they, they know they suck, but they see Justin Fields run for 250 yards and they get jacked up because why not? Of course you would. That's exciting. It might not, if you're being honest, it might not be the best long-term strategy for being a dynasty, you know, going on a Packers 15-year, 30-year run, but it's exciting for the moment and I get it. So I'm looking forward to the Eagles game. You know, we got to look into it a little bit deeper, but um, I don't know. I think I think there's a window here. I, and I said that last week about the Colts. I said there's a p- potential they could lose to the Colts. You got the the Eagles kind of realizing that they aren't perfect and they've they've got some issues and the turnovers are starting and all these things. And then you got the Colts kind of on the upswing. And you know the the Eagles have been punched in the mouth a couple times now, and, and the Packers are just kind of opportunists. I mean, they're not going to be more down on themselves than when they were when they played Dallas. And they know what they can do. They know they have the talent. It's it's very inconsistent and disjointed and, and messed up. But if they get into a rhythm, they'll just absolutely... They, I mean, they could eviscerate somebody. They're sort of like this one... Dim- <laughs> My mind is too stuck on StarCraft. Let's just say there, there are certain people who have certain strengths and weaknesses. And depending on exactly how things line up, you can be complete garbage or you can just eviscerate your opponent. That's the Packers. They're not super well-rounded right now, but you get the right conditions and the right situation and the right opponent at the right time, they can blow somebody up. And I don't really think it matters who it is because, again, we know they have the talent. It's just just got to get those right conditions. And, well, again, we'll dig in a little bit more to see if the Eagles really are that team or not. I'm not entirely sure, but 
I think there's some potential there. Anyways, you guys have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. I do, well, that doesn't matter because, I, sorry, I was playing uh, playing the rest of the interview there. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a, a Packer Net after dark. It uh, looks like there wasn't one yesterday, which is to say I'm not doing one tonight because there's not enough calls. But please get some calls in today so we can have a Packer Net after dark today if there aren't a uh, bevy of calls, and we won't do it. But anyways, have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.